Okay, welcome back to Firewall. I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. It's a Tuesday episode, so with us is our friend and producer, Hugo Lindgren. Hugo, how's it going? Good morning, Bradley. This is a big day because your book is available. Your book, Obvious in Hindsight, is available for sale, hardcover, on Amazon.com. People might know of that website. Yeah, I, th I think I've heard of it. Yeah, um, yeah start shipping today. Uh, we, we did a, a pre-sale version at indie bookstores like P&T around the country, um, did that kind of almost in the way that a movie has like a limited release first. Well, um, that was the model? The, the, kind of. I'm, yeah. not sure. I'm not sure if that model actually works. I don't know if it works for the movies or for us, but we, that's what we did. did. Um, so um, we, uh, but today, if you would already order on Amazon, you should be getting it today. And if you were to order it on Amazon today, you'd get it in the next day or two. So. Yeah, uh, if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, um, I hope you do. And then I should also mention that for those of you who are in the D.C. area, um, doing an event tomorrow night, so that will be Wednesday the 29th at Kramer Books at 7 p.m. Uh, I am in conversation with my brother-in-law, Josh Gottheimer. We'll talk about the book, but we'll talk do about Do you know that Josh has read the book? Um, yes. Okay. Well, I know he's read at least half of it. Um, because they went to London for the holiday, and I, I was getting like emails or texts from him about the book while he was on. The are there flight. little Josh things? I know there's no character based on Josh, but are there little things that he recognizes, like you know, of of stuff you've talked about or whatever? There are little may, little, may, little Easter eggs in there. I mean, it's hard, not not nothing deliberate, right. but you know, if you talk to someone daily for years, and then you write, who's in the business of a book that you then write a, a novel about? Uh, I'm, I'm sure some of it has seeped in it. Sure. Way. So, um, yeah, so if you're in D.C. tomorrow night, uh, come check us out, please. And, um, yeah, so the, the first thing, I, I, I guess I didn't have enough to do over the weekend. So one of the things that I did do, uh, I wrote a lot, but I also... What were you writing? Were you doing the, 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 uh, the mobile voting book? No, the mobile voting book's really done. We're getting the copy-edited version back, I think, next week, and then I just kind of got to go through it with a fine-tooth comb. Okay. But, no, I was rewriting. When I was in L.A., Last week, two weeks ago, whatever now it was, um, I had meetings on the scripts for the TV show. Okay. And um, I was incorporating all of the notes Great. and edits into the pilot. And then I wrote a daily news column that I run this week. What was um, that on? It's about our mayor. And, oh, uh, really? I'm sure he's going to love it. Um, <laughs> we, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> oh, about no. it after okay. it comes out. Great. And, um, but I also wrote up this idea. So... I think I'm going to read it, but which I know is never great. But I know. I, I always warn you against that. I know. Go but, ahead. And, and, and then we'll talk about it. Okay. So the idea would be to build a cost-benefit, and this is not a for-profit venture or something I'm even actually going to do. I'm just- Are you sure? It's a cool idea. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm tapped out of the throwing money at projects that can never work business for a while. Okay. Um, but you'll be back to it. Eventually. Uh, so it's, it's a cost-benefit app for decisions. Like whether or not to eat that cookie. You input all of your health info and underlying goals as the baseline when you download the app. Then I ask you a series of questions about your mood. And if we're using the cookie example, whether you exercise that day, how many other cookies you've had lately, the time of the day, upcoming plans. And then based on everything you've told the app, it gives you an answer along the lines of the totality of the evidence indicates you want the cookie. It doesn't say have the cookie because the app itself is neutral on all decisions. It just tries to help you better understand yourself, your goals, your fears, your needs, and then weigh them. Okay. It also provides the weighting and reasoning for the decisions. You can choose to override it. Um, obviously, you could just choose to eat or right. not eat the cooking anyway. 
um, or see what produced the recommendation and reweight it if you feel it's off. Um, with AI, the app can learn more about you every time and weigh more factors and get more precise in the questions it asks. So examples of use cases, should I eat this? Should I drink this? Should I get more sleep or go to the gym? Um, should I go to this non-essential event? Should I watch TV or read? Should I drive or take the train? Should I post this? Should I buy this? Um, ideally, the goal is to help you better understand yourself, not outsource what you're thinking to an app. And then maybe over time, it helps you see your own choices, what they represent and what they lead to. So if you're consistently choosing the cookie or sleep or TV, you understand the outcomes likely to happen or vice versa. Ideally, it helps people find the right balance of healthy choices and enjoyable choices. And perhaps more than that, it can guide you to choices that are more likely to produce long-term contentment, peace, and happiness. Guide you towards spending time with, caring for, and being proactive with and happy for friends and family. Guide you towards being willing to sit with anxiety and discomfort rather than reaching for a distraction that helps short-term, helps in the short-term, but makes the problem worse long-term. Maybe everyone wants to just make the easy choice, but like all easy and bad choices, you pay a price for it. So ultimately, being able to make the harder choice and feeling good about it and be able to withstand the temptation does make you happier. This is effectively what every addict faces. One question, last, last oh, go ahead. Sorry. One question is whether anyone who already isn't wired to make the harder choices would use the app in the first place. It may be mildly useful for them, but they'd probably land in the same place anyway. And maybe everyone who really could use the encouragement and advice would just avoid the app entirely. So that's that's what I wrote. Well, I think I think everybody could use this in one way or another. And I think one of the most interesting possibilities with this, right, would be it would give you some regular report, like a weekly or monthly thing that would sort of analyze your behavior, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. And I think that'd be like kind of the coolest aspect of it because, you know, I think we all like imagine, you know, it's it's like what we think our sort of patterns and habits are, and then they are actually something else. And you know, some of us are closer to like reality than others in terms of what we see of our own lives. But, you but, know, but you, here's here's so here's maybe the, the question, which is this is not Ozempic, right? This is not a silver bullet, you know, go on this fad diet or whatever it is and, and all of your problems will be solved. Do you have a lot of friends on Ozempic? No, unless people aren't going <laughs> to say it. I, I don't know. No. I have a couple of friends. It's like a it's like crack or something. They, they just they they love it. They just. They like brag about how little they eat all the time. And I'm like, is that good? Yeah, well, I mean, look, maybe it's a wonder drug that reduces your, I think it helps supposedly with addiction. It helps right. with your heart. So look, maybe there's a world, I, I take a statin because I'm 50 and my doctor was like, you might as well just take one. So, and do you have high cholesterol or no? A, a little bit, a little, yeah. Right. But, but I don't know that normally it would have been, but I think the point is statins are seen as so universally helpful and otherwise benign. Right. That there's no reason not to take it right. once you hit a certain age, at least for men, it may be different for I women. I think that's right. Um, so here's all the questions. So, so we were in a an investment committee the other day, and we were looking at a diabetes startup. And um, Jordan made the analogy, and he said people who weigh themselves every day tend to be the people who are not overweight in the first place. Um, and I don't know where he got that from, and maybe he's wrong. But if that's right, my fear here is. The people who already are aware of the consequences of their choices and have the discipline and willpower to try to make the, the better choice most of the time are the ones who would use this app because it kind of reinforces good behavior and makes them feel good about themselves. But the people who ultimately lack the discipline or the self-awareness wouldn't want to use the app because it would just make them feel 
bad about themselves, even though it wouldn't you have language like that. Um, and so as a result, it, it may not help anyone who actually needs it. Well, so the key would then be like building in some incentives to get people to use it, right? So like there are negative ones, um, which probably wouldn't work because nobody would open themselves up to that. But like if you had, I don't know, I mean, it, it's, it seems... It seems hard to imagine exactly how you could organize it, but if there were like a pot of money that that everybody who like did it, like there was a kind of a sweepstake, so once a month, like someone who like subscribed to the service and you know used it X amount of times, like qualified for like a big award or something, something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm, so, not, I'm not sure who's really providing the the award or something. I mean, I guess I guess if it's a app that has a subscription model and that's just part of the prize, like a lottery right. or whatever, yeah, yeah. I guess that could work. Um, yeah, and, and look, to a certain extent, as I kind of thought about this over the course of the weekend, I kind of started on the the health concept because I think it was Thanksgiving morning and that mm -hmm. was, you know, just seemed, I knew I was about to eat a ridiculous amount of calories and carbs <laughs> and sugar uh, that day. And so maybe that was on my mind. But, I, but it kind of evolved over the course of the weekend into a kind of broader... Um, could, could this help you just take a half a step back? Look, one of the things where a lack of human interaction and connection is, is really harmful to people, and there's a reason why the Surgeon General says that loneliness is the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day from a health perspective, is you only have your own perspective, right? And so as you're trying to weigh things and decide things and everything else, um, you really don't have anyone's advice but your own. And in a weird way, this could be a really good manifestation of AI where it's, it's still you, um, but it's sort of a slightly different, more nuanced, more calculated you because it is taking your views over the entirety of time as opposed to the minute that you're in. So without getting the situation, I walked into the studio this morning ranting and raving to Corey and Hugo about something I was upset about, and they said, you got to put that aside and just do the podcast um, without that sort of dominating your mood, which I'm trying to do. You're doing a good um, job. But uh, point being, at any given moment in time, we're influenced by the context of that moment, which could be good, it could be bad, it could be whatever. Um, but if this thing had the totality of you over a long period of time, it could almost be like the rational self, mm -hmm. you know, um, which I think would be pretty cool. Uh, I feel like I'm not a I'm not a programmer, but it doesn't seem like you couldn't build this relatively easily. Um, I don't know whether people would actually use it. Well, you think of like how much people are into their steps. Like, what's that like a? It's like a relatively recent thing. I mean, it's been around. I guess it's been on people's phones for like ten years or whatever. But like in the last couple of years, it's like suddenly it's like everybody tells you like how many steps they had that day or keeps track so of it that's somehow. measurable progress so i guess maybe the answer or part of the answer would have to be do you build in goals or goals yeah. specifically that you're working towards as opposed to it just sort of being this kind of new judgment neutral advice setting thing and look in theory you could put the settings and say you know, I want to be Chris Farley, right? I just want to fucking do as many drugs <laughs> as I can, drink as much as I can, you know, not exercise, you know, smoke, whatever else, and die so whatever you could have the Chris Farley plan. You could put that in there, how I mean, well you're doing towards that? Yeah, I mean, in theory, it, 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 you can pick whatever life goals that you want, and then it would ask you questions to just make sure that your choices are consistent or not with those goals. So here's another, here's another way of looking at it, maybe. What if you, instead of trying, like, starting, like, global, like, all these different behaviors, what if you started with, like, 
something about just like eating a cookie or not, right? So it was just like, it just tracked. But isn't it too simplistic? Well, I mean, I just, I just mean that like if you, if you had, if you were able to nail one aspect of this and just start like, not that you'd base the whole thing on that for all time, but like if you were going to, if you're going to build it, what's the, what's the initial building block that like would, would get people interested and that would be actually useful without like trying to govern like all of, you know, all of people's behavior across every different sort of activity. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, look, you'd certainly, to, to build a minimum viable product, you, you probably wouldn't start, like you said, globally with all thought. I think what you'd have to start with is, which is the thing that would be easy and appealing enough for people to want to use and come back to, and yet thoughtful enough to have some actual value, right? Because the internet did not need another calorie tracker or no, anything like definitely that. Not. So it's, it's got to be more substantive and, and thoughtful than that. But at the same time, it's got to be tangible and goal-oriented enough that people would use and come back to it. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is to it, but I just do think that this, if I had unlimited, I was thinking about this, if I had unlimited money, there's two things that I would do with it. One would be when I had an idea like this, I'd have like a studio where we could just build out ideas and technologies and all of that, one. And two, I'd have like a full-time political SWAT team. So like when an issue came up, like closing the illegal weed shops in New York. You just have them jump on it. I just have them jump on it, yeah. Um, you kind of have like, in a weird way, you have many aspects of both of those. those already. Yeah, I just, right. But the problem is I- You I, don't have the unlimited money. I don't have the unlimited money, so I have to A, make choices, and B, I have made so many choices to just- do everything I want to do that ne now I'm paying the price for those choices. L let me, let me ask you one more question about, about this um, plan though, or this, this, I guess it's an app. It's an app. I guess. Um, yeah, sure. So uh, you, what, two years ago, I think you read a hundred books or did you make a hundred or were you at like, no, 90 I got something? to like 92 or something. So, so, the, but mean? it was a big thing. You were tracking your reading a lot. You were really mm -hmm. aware of how much time you're spending on it and sort of planning it and everything. Did, were there any apps that were useful for that in terms of like, like m monitoring your progress? Because it seems to me like reading might be a cool yeah, way to do it. Um, or start I mean, all it. I really, because the, the goal wasn't to read 100 books. I mean, it, the goal was to read 100 books in a 12-month period, right. not in a specific number of hours mm -hmm. or whatever it was. So I just made a list. And I, look, I have a list of the books that I've read this year, right? It's nowhere near 100, but, um, but nonetheless. So um, I was just trying to get to that. You know, there are a bunch of sort of various reading apps. They seem to be more about kind of community and sharing and all of that. So... Um, I, um, you know, I just generally don't engage much in social media. I, 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 I see where it can have value for some people and, and Goodreads certainly seems like a more benign website than, than TikTok. Um, but overall, um, it, it reminds me, I do you ever do book clubs? It. Have you ever done those with anybody? You know, a, a couple of times in the past, but just everyone just gets drunk and no one talks about the book. <laughs> So what's the point? Well, maybe we should do a book club on the podcast in, in, in starting in January. We just we just give all the, the listeners a book that we're both going to read, and then we talk about it for you know sure a couple episodes in a row, just like yeah. You know, I just think what we have to do because we we've tried this once before that Chip War book. Remember we even talked oh, yeah. about it in the air and we didn't read it. It's got to be fiction. If it's nonfiction, you, the, you won't read it. Probably won't read it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm actually started the other day a long novel that I think is going to be excellent, which is called The Beasting by Paul Murray. Yeah, yeah, I saw the reviews for that. Yeah, so I just, uh, I'm maybe, you know, 100 pages in or something I'll like read that. that. But I'll read that for next week. Um, yeah, it's, like I was, it's long. You okay. may not finish it, but I won't finish it by next week. Okay. But, um, but it does look pretty good. The Beasting. Okay. All right, well, 
we're going to be talking about the bee sting sometime in the next couple of weeks. Maybe we'll just get a progress report from Bradley about it next week. Yeah, and I will do it at some point in December. We'll, we'll go through the books I read this year and what I recommend overall. Okay. Elsewhere on your hyperactive mind this weekend, you had another concept um, that uh, is... I mean, this the, the app is not a wacky concept. This one is a little wacky, I think. Yeah, and th this so, is a little more tongue-in-cheek. Um, and instead of reading it, I'll, I'll just kind of talk it through. You're just going to rip it out. Okay, good. Yeah, but, I prefer but, that. Yeah, I know. The, um, you know, in, your look, in looking at just sort of the, the state of our politics today and, and sort of how people are, feel compelled to be dragged to such extremes where they're doing things like praising terrorism, you know, whether it's bin Laden's letter to America or Hamas's atrocities, or whatever else. Um, I kind of think it'd be an amazing example of performance art if someone ran for office as like the far left or far right candidate in the race, but the whole thing is parody, right? So you start off as your standard DSA member or Trumper or whatever it is, and then you just slowly keep introducing crazier and crazier shit um, into your tweets, into your social feeds, into your press releases, everything else, but you do it all with a straight face um, and never let on to the media that the whole thing is a joke, never let on to your followers that the whole thing is a joke, um, never let on to your volunteers. And I actually think in a weird way, the crazier you are, the more volunteers you'll probably get. Um, and I think you probably need someone, this is why it'd be hard to find it, which is you want someone who has enough credibility coming in. So obviously no elected official would do it. But if it was like just an art student at Tisch or whatever, yeah, I, I don't think it care. would work. It's got to be someone who's like on the community board, right? Like just like if it were just taking the New York City Council as, as an example here or the school board or whatever or in another, another place. Um, where you have enough credibility that like, there's some description they can write about you before your name in the articles. Mm -hmm. So, and at the same time, though, um, you don't actually intend to to win the office, right? Because you're just because you just kind of make it more and more and more uh, absurd, and you keep having campaign events. Doesn't that get this crazier, sounds like crazier. this sounds like your second novel? That's what it sounds like. To well, me. I feel like there's probably been versions of this already. I mean, even but not with your like. Well, go ahead. Right. I mean, even that movie, The Candidate, you know, with, with the very end of it, they say, well, what do we do now, right? You know, because there was no actual plan other than running for office. Right. You know, in, in my thesis here, you would have the big reveal. So Election Day is, it's funny, everyone thinks that Election Day is like the Super Bowl, and it's kind of not. Because right. the problem is if you are, it is if you are like out in the field, handing out literature, calling people to make sure they go to the polls, that kind of stuff. But if you're like running the campaign, in a weird way, there's nothing to do because you, you've right, done everything waiting, at right. this point. You're just kind of anxiously waiting around. And you know who also has nothing to do? The press, uh, until the results come <laughs> in that evening. And I think that if like said candidate were to do a big reveal like 10 a.m. or something like that on election day. I think you're giving away your idea, Bradley. I think we should be doing someone, this. I would love someone to do this. Again, I don't have unlimited resources. Well, it, 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 it's, kind of a, it's kind of a good seg into our, into, our, um, into our next topic. We're gonna play a little game here. Bradley, on, on a, I think our, the text group that we're on together is like basically a basketball text group, like Nick's, right? Yeah, we're with all these Knicks fans who get really excited whenever they win. It's funny. It's Did like you? I, you know, it's so sad. I was watching the game against the Heat on yeah. Friday night. Which they won. Which they won. And Lyle, we have one TV, and Lyle was playing PS Five with a friend of his on the TV. On the TV. So okay. I put the game on my laptop. Okay. And I what a got, nice dad you are. And I got into bed, 
And by the second quarter, I was out cold. And when I woke up at 1230, I had te- from that group tons of texts. Right, yeah, yeah. Other people, too. What an amazing game. Uh, Howard and, and Yeah, Josh, but I, but right? I, 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 I missed it. Uh, but sounds like it was really exciting. Yeah, I didn't watch either. But, but um, so... You uh, on the on that text group, you you uh, somebody was praising um, Greg Popovich for a, um, I guess he shushed the crowd or something when they were at a, when when the Spurs were playing. What was it? The Spurs were the playing Clippers? the Clippers. Kawhi and Leonard who was getting, had, was getting booed mercilessly by the Spurs fans, and it's understandable because he was in San Antonio, and then he said, "I don't want to be here anymore," and forced the trade right. out. And the so they're booing the crap out of him. Never recovered. But I guess, but at the same time, you know, they did win a title with him. He was the finals MVP. And Popovich, as I understand it, just got basically at some point during a break, took a mic, went out to center court and said, stop booing him. Right. And I don't think it actually stopped anyone No, from I don't think it did. But, but did it was Kawhi's a cool thing to do. Also? No, what did he say? It was really funny. He was like, he's like, yeah, it's fine. I don't mind it. He goes, you know, the thing is when I'm walking around the street here, people are lovely to me, like in restaurants and stuff. He's like, it's just, it's just part of the game. It was weird because, like, here Popovich had done this sort of big gesture, and then Kawhi was like, "Well, I'm surprised Kawhi usually he just doesn't speak at all." Yeah, no, it, his comment was very, um, it, it was very sweet actually. Like, and it, it, anyway, so so Bradley took this, and you know, Greg Popovich is not only a great basketball coach, but you know, someone widely admired as a sort of a human being with integrity. And so Bradley suggested... Um, no, if, it wasn't my idea. Oh, it wasn't? No. Oh. I ordered... There was someone making Popovich Kerr t-shirts for like the 20... Popovich what? Steve Kerr was the VP. Oh, oh Popovich Kerr. Um, <laughs> I think it was the 2016 That's election. A, it's not a lot of diversity in that um, no, no, no. ticket. You know, uh, yeah. Whoa, you, you mean because it's like a Texas team and a California team? Well, I just mean it's like two yeah, middle red, white guys. No, but you so have like, a red state and a blue state. Like the epitome of oh, each. Oh, California, Texas. I see what that, you're saying. Right? Yeah. Um, but, um, but two white so, basketball guys. I don't know. I so, think you could do better. But go ahead. Sure. But but um, yeah, it's funny. It's not. So I bought that. They had T-shirts. I bought one. I bought for Howard. Uh, oh, you have one. I have one somewhere. Yeah, I still have it. So that was where. Uh, okay, I got the idea. So 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 your um, your suggestion was that if or your 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 starting point your argument. Was that if uh, Greg Popovich ran on the no labels line in the election, you said an over under of what? Six percent, right? Yeah, six percent. So you said, so I was like, hmm, that's pretty good out of nowhere, right? A six percent. Like, do you think when Donald Trump first mentioned that he was running for president, which he probably did like in 1992 or something like that, but like that he would have like rated above six percent? No, right? no, it's probably the same kind of thing, right? People yeah. are like, yeah, whatever, maybe, right? You know? Although it's the presence of trump on the ballot that makes a like in retro when you had romney obama right in, in right now every voter would be like fine either of them today would be great we'll <laughs> exactly. take them um <laughs> so a third party candidacy wouldn't have been all that meaningful because the voters were generally okay with the choices they yeah, had true in this case every poll shows people are not okay with biden or with trump and so that and that's look when no labels keeps talking about running someone they're not wrong in that this would be the opportunity, I think the problem is people don't see this as feasible for this, whoever this no labels candidate is to get 270 electoral college votes and win the election. And so the fear is that they would throw it to Trump. Trump, yeah. Okay, so let's. I'm, I have a list. These are all non-politicians, okay? Mm-hmm. But they're all recognizable. And the question names. is, would they do better or worse than Popovich? Well, I just want a number. Just give me a number. So Popovich okay. is the is, six. Is, is, he's six. You ready? Yeah. We're going to go kind of fast. Lightning round. You ready? Sure. These are people. I, with one exception, you've heard of all of them, okay? Maybe, maybe all of them. Oprah. Twenty-one. Twenty-one. Oh my God! It's going to be impossible to beat. Dave Portnoy. 
Less than one. Less than one. Oof. Charles Barkley. Nine. Joe Rogan. Two. Megan Rapino. One. Bob Iger. Two. One. Elon Musk. That's a tough one. Um, I like 15 to 20. Nice. So below Oprah. Give Pro- me a number. Give me an actual one. Elon, 18. Okay. Uh, Rick Rubin. The music producer? <laughs> yes. Yeah, like like the same as, as Dave Portnoy. I mean, I like Rick Rubin. And no, I, know. I, I like the towel of Rick Rubin and all that right. shit. And I like, but you just I like don't the Beastie think anyone Boys gives a shit and the DMC. No, I mean, he'd be like, a, given his vibe and his aura, he'd be the equivalent of the Green Party candidate. Right. So maybe he would take half a point from Biden. Okay. Ronda Rousey. The fighter? Yeah. Uh, wherever I put Joe Rogan and, and, and Dave Portnoy. Somewhere between Joe Rogan and Dave Portnoy. Like 1.7 or something. <laughs> Chris Jenner. Uh, it's interesting. So if you're so completely unqualified, but celebrity, but you're well-known. But well she's pretty known. incredible. Yeah, like yeah, her yeah, power yeah. No, and like, well-known. I, yeah. I agree. Uh, five. Five. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Beast. Ooh. Yeah, the problem for Mr. Beast is that age is going to be a problem. Right. Let's like, like, out the window for them. Lyle would vote for Mr. Beast. Yeah. Um, well, he can't vote, but he, he would. He can't vote. And, of course, mobile voting. Um, Mr. Beast would still get, like, seven. Seven. Okay, so our lead candidate, Oprah, is way ahead. Yeah, because, one, she, there's a normative to it in that she's been talked about as a presidential candidate yeah, for right. years so she got and a big years advantage, and years right? and years. Um, she's highly respected. She's sort of both neither political nor apolitical, right? Like, she takes stances on things, um, but yet, and, and look, maybe I just happen to agree with her stances, but I don't think there's sort of widespread partisan objection to her stances. I think the only candidate that I recall her endorsing explicitly was Obama. Um, and she has a tremendous amount of money. Uh, yeah, I think she would, she, she would have, when we looked at running for Bloomberg in 2016, um, and Oprah's much more popular than Mike, but Mike had the credibility of having been mayor for three terms. And, you know, Oprah's rich, but not Mike Rich, even even a fraction of Mike Rich. Um, that was sort of where we thought we'd probably top out was around 20. And Perot, I think, got 20 or 21 in the 92 election. That's the all-time high right. for And think how incredible it is, like Ross Perot, like unknown you know, as a, as a... Yeah, well, so there again, you had an incumbent in George H.W. Bush that people weren't happy with, even though in retrospect, he was actually a pretty good president. But um, he was seen to, we were in a recession and he raised taxes after he yeah. said he wouldn't. Right. You had Bill Clinton, who was really dynamic, but very young um, and had all of these moral failings that were already very public. Right. They managed to get much worse. But So it was um, an out, or, or so, lane so right there. There was a lane, right. right? And I think that's why, depending on who, and then Perot was also just sometimes it's the right person at the right time. Yeah, right? sure. Just like Trump was the right person for, for to win the election at the right time. Okay, slightly serious question, but it involves a magic wand so how serious could it be um I give you the magic wand you get to replace joe biden on the democratic ticket who is it so, i mean so i feel like i'm in this discussion with other people all the time right, right? so just in this moment just as, i with, guess I'll, i just I'll, hand you the I'll, wand I'll, you 30 seconds i'll go whitmer but whitmer. you know I, but it's not with a lot of conviction well just in that look the backup quarterback's always the most popular guy in town right <laughs> and the minute it gets in the game everyone fucking hates him right so all the time Someone should run. And then the minute that they run, all of a sudden, all the things about them that either you didn't know or didn't care about, you know, become real negatives. So, I mean, the reason I would say Whitmer is just in that 
um, maybe she, she would pull out some extra women to vote who would vote otherwise. Um, she'd presumably win her own state of Michigan. Um, that would That's an important battleground state. Maybe the proximity to Wisconsin and Minnesota. Ohio. Well, Ohio is still going to probably go Republican. But, right. um, so I think so. But, you know, you, you have all of these different governors, Shapiro in Pennsylvania and Pritzker in Illinois and Newsom in California, who I think, you know, would be able to step in relatively quickly. Plus, keep in mind, let's just say that Biden today had a health event and, and couldn't run. Harris would obviously run as well, and she would get a big chunk of that vote too. Sure. So um, I, I guess I guess Whitmer, but I, I do think that it is always very appealing to pick the candidate who's not actually a candidate. And in my experience, when they actually become the candidate, they are wildly less popular immediately. Yep. Um, okay, we're going to do one last thing, which is just kind of like a inspired by your um, uh, kind of creative conceptualizing over the weekend, I had an idea that was mm -hmm. based on our conversations. So I just want to run it past you, get your get your response to it, and then uh, I have one additional follow-up question to it. So we talked um, on the on the episode that aired or that was posted on Thursday on Thanksgiving Day about, uh, about hunger in America and uh, the work that uh, Tusk Philanthropies is doing um, for school lunch and uh, universal school lunch. And I, th and I thought like, um, if you were going to just start a third party in the mm -hmm. United States and you wanted a, just like you wanted to get away from like all these big sort of issues where you can't even tell the difference between one side or the other. And it just feels like it's one just big shit show all the time. And you want to pick one baseline thing and said, we're going to fix this. We're not going to ignore every other problem. And we don't think this is the only thing in the world, but we're, we're going to, we're going to run on doing this. What would be the issue? And I thought that sc universal school lunch would be like, if you just called your party school lunch. And you said we are gonna, we are gonna, um, we're gonna have universal, good, accessible, decent meals to all American students. Period. Yeah, that's the that's the that's the reason that we're we're starting this party. How would that work? Would it? Would it? Would it? I mean, yeah, would it do better than Oprah? Well, I was about to say. Well, I was, I was actually going to say, if you put Oprah on the school lunch party, they should go up to like 27, 28. Um, <laughs> okay, perfect. So it is a kind of a nice combination if you think about it. All right. So if, if we're assuming presidential for purposes of this conversation, yes, yes. Um, every state has different requirements on the ballot. They are all almost most places make it much harder for independent candidates because the people in power don't want challenges yeah, to their power. Um, now, you can solve it with money, right. right? So, like, again, Oprah, because of her wealth and her popularity... Would probably have plenty of money. Would have plenty of money, and therefore you can get on the ballot. When Mike was thinking of vice president in 2016, um, I had started hiring people to do the ballot gathering. So it's, it's a money-solvable problem. It's harder when... The person doesn't have money and they're not really famous. So, um, so, so Oprah school lunch, I like that combination. Okay, so, that. so then the question is, okay, so it's Oprah school lunch. Let's assume we get on the ballot, no problem. Um, it it helps in the sense that I think you could really play into the overriding pessimism. Just say, you know what, they all suck, right? And none of them can get anything done because Congress is broken, the world is on fire, and at best they can make incremental progress. And the economy is really controlled by the Fed and not the government. The, the executive branch anyway. Um, and therefore, at least we know that if we vote for Oprah, this one good thing would happen. And it's a building block, right? It's like, this is the, this I mean, is the value. Trump, Trump kind of did that with the wall. Well, that's what I think. That's what I mean is like, if you were going to take the Trump thing, like I was reading Matt Iglesias this weekend, and he was talking about a point I think he's made many, many, many times, but that what people underrate about Trump is that the policies were right, right? The China-Mexico kind of triangulation strategy was like 
perfect. And somebody it was sitting there for anybody. Right. Like it wasn't just that like he was a blowhard who like, you know, rallied huge crowds, although that was obviously valuable, but that the policy combination was pretty formidable just by itself. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. So we had talked a few weeks ago here, and I'm sure everyone was just listening and stealing our ideas about how, how <laughs> Biden and the Democrats have to stop trying to impeach Trump on moral grounds because everyone fully understands it. And if they're making the trade-off, it's not because it didn't occur to them. And they have to impeach him on substantive grounds. We're starting to see the Times, at least, put forward the argument of like, well, here's what a Trump, and they've gotten access to various Trump mm -hmm. sort of internal documents and, and whatever else. But they're, the problem with the articles is they're still sort of too, in my mind, wonkish and esoteric and still don't really cut home. Like, Immigration detention centers are a terrible thing to, in the way that they're talking about mass deportations, but it still doesn't affect people. Who, those people don't vote, right? They can't vote. So, like, therefore, it still doesn't really directly affect um, people. There was there was a good op-ed in the Times today about sort of the Trump plan to eliminate kind of a lot of the federal bureaucracy or federal government. And I think you could start saying, like, okay, this means that those of you who are working 40 hours a week are now going to have to work 50 Right. This means that kids are now going to have to go back into factories. Look, you could start to take some of the things that you think, like in a in a in a Trump Trump's world is a zero sum game. Right. You win, I lose. I win, you lose. There's a finite pie of everything, and life is just a, a Hobbesian competition for as much of that pie as possible. Right. And where kind of the overall regulatory state, and it has more than a share of problems, and I'm you know quick to speak about those problems, but where it fits is it's not zero sum. It, it's much more of an abundance mentality of saying, um, for the greatest number of people, we can achieve the greatest good by having child labor laws or workplace safety laws or anti-discrimination laws. And can they go too far? Sure. Sometimes they, they you know bureaucracy gets out of control or politicized or corruption or whatever. But generally speaking, it's sort of an antidote to the political mindset. So every, pretty much every politician I know is a zero-sum person, right? Which is me, 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 right. me at the expense of everything else. Um, and I think the even if an individual regulator may not be that different on a personal level, collectively, it, it, it cuts against the zero-sum mentality and much more into sort of an abundance abundance sort of mentality instead. Um, I guess that's Locke or whoever. Um, and um, so I, I think that you could make the case that a lot of these specific Trump plans um, would start to hurt regular people in ways that it would actually impact their lives. So there, and there was a piece by Ronald Brown. Is it go by Ron or Ronald? I don't know, actually. Brownstein, but good, good writer. I think Ron. Uh, Ron Brownstein in The Atlantic. We talked about sort of the debate within the Democratic Party over effectively whether to try to keep just promoting Bidenomics and, and show that Biden is a really good president or go after Trump, but not on moral grounds, but on substantive, like, here's what your life will look like if right. this guy's president again, which is kind of what we were saying here on this podcast. Of course, they all listen to us. And, yeah. <laughs> Very um, yeah. So so I think that um, I don't even know how the fuck we how do we get this? We got. We, we're, we're, we're working on 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 the school, lunch. On the school lunch. Yeah, but then how did party. I get on this part? I can't remember, but it it, it flowed very naturally. Trump, for you. it did, and then I lost it. That's okay. I think you were you were you were mining a nice field there. I think it was. I think it's all good. I th you know, I was thinking about the whole kind of zero sum versus abundance yeah, yeah. in terms of the federal bureaucracy or government regulations this morning, so it was on my mind. But um, but look, overall, 
Yes. Now, it would have to be very specific. So, um, like when just 09 Bloomberg campaign, which is always my sort of basis for stuff, we created the Jobs and Education Party because Mike was on the Republican line uh, and the uh, Independence Party line. And if people wanted to vote for Mike, but maybe not vote for a Republican. You could do it on the jobs and education line. line. How many people voted on that? Very few. I don't remember the number, but very few. So the point is, it it was too vague. Yeah, and it was was too vague, right? Right. It didn't mean anything. So I think that if you were going to do it, it I think your idea is exactly right, which it has to be one very specific thing that is very tangible. And you can say, as the President of the United States, I have enough power to do this. To do this, one way or the other, I can make this thing happen. Whether it's I can find the money, you know, through executive authority, or I could just veto every bill Congress puts out till from either passes, side until right? they pass this, or whatever it is, um, you could do it. And I think, on one hand, like should that be the the deciding factor of who should be president? No, of, of course not. Um, but but if you made the case of like what do you have to lose, um, you know it's like do you remember Jimmy McMillan who ran for mayor of New York? The rent is too damn high. Vaguely, yeah, he was a guy that ran for mayor, and he only had one. It's a good slogan for New York. He didn't even have a platform really that I recall. I don't, Corey, I don't know if you remember if he did or not. But he had a slogan which was the rent is too damn. He was really fucking popular, and it was just because everyone agreed the rent is too damn high, right? And so. Um, for your idea to work, it would need to be very, very specific. And I think, to put it into more practical terms, it would be cool if someone like ran on the school lunch line, um, not because they're going to win or even get 21 or 27%, but just to force the other candidates to take a stance saying, yeah. well, I'll do it too. Yeah, it's a critique, right? And it, and, 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 and it also it hits, it hits a certain amount and, of people and, right and, where they... In fairness to Biden, the... Agriculture Department has, and Lisa talked about this last week, um, made some progress in terms of expanding eligibility. Um, What they haven't done is provided the requisite funding for it. So the criteria are looser and and therefore better, um, but the funding is is not there. So Biden has made, I would say, some some progress on this issue. But but, it doesn't sound like we want him for the school lunch party quite yet. I mean, he's, look, I'm never going to be president, but if I were president and I was in year, coming to year four, Start doing some we'd, ha- we'd have fucking school lunch. Yep. That that I could tell you. Bradley, um, I got a recommendation. Oh, I was going to ask you, of course. Um, the move, There's a movie on Netflix about Bayard Rustin. Did you see it? No. Do you know who he is? I, vaguely. <laughs> so he was like an advisor, he was part of the civil rights movement, right. advisor to MLK. The March on Washington was his idea. Okay. Uh, and he organized it. Okay. That's uh, pretty He big. was very controversial within the civil rights movement because he was gay. Uh-huh. Um, and that was sort of a, a big no-no at the time. Uh-huh. And he was very confrontational and everything else. And so Roy Wilkins, who had AACP, kept trying to sideline him. Adam Clayton Powell kept trying to sideline him. MLK, I think, w- was close with him personally, but, but I think was conflicted as to how to handle all of it. Um, but but he ultimately is the person that made the March on Washington happen. And so it's a, it's a story of someone who, it's you a, know. It's a doc or a, a narrative? It, it's a narrative. Okay. Um, it's a little overacted in places, but, but overall... Um, it's it moves well. It's not like most movies and documentaries, just slow and 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 you know navel gazing. Um, and you know it was an incredibly impressive man, and I'm, I'm sure it was you know it was mainly hagiography with a few negative traits thrown in. So I'm just, sure, just cred, the, right? I'm sure the reality of him, like every human being, is is not what <laughs> right, what not the movie that. says. But you know it was cool to see someone who like had this massive impact on you know 
one of the most, if not the most important movement in American history and who uh, helped make something possible. And by the way, not in the way of like, and I'm not diminishing, you know, Martin Luther King, but not in the way of speeches and inspiration, but in the way of like, we need this many porta potties. We need this many cops. We need this many French barricades. Like that shit is hard, right? Yeah. And like the people who do that work never get the credit for it, right? Um, and so I thought it was cool to see that. So I, I liked it. Great. See you next week, Bradley. See you. Bye. Firewall is recorded on the Lower East Side of PET Network, home to New York City's only free podcast recording studio. Let us know if you have a question, feedback, or ideas for a guest. Just email me at bradley at firewall.media or find me on Twitter, or some people now call it X, at Bradley Tusk. And don't forget to pre-order my debut novel, Obvious in Hindsight, wherever books are sold, especially here at PET Network.